Have a seat. Thank you so much. Um, great worship here in YA. And uh, I always appreciate being with you guys. It's been a while. Um, this is my first time during COVID with you guys. Now, some of you may not know who I am. My name's Troy. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary. My title is Pastor of Development. And in our context here, what that means is I oversee all of our finance from how it comes in with dealing with donors and how we receive our offerings to how we even spend our dollars here at Calvary. So it's always a pleasure to be with you guys. Um, I want to tell you from leadership that's non-YA leadership, we love you. We love having you here on this campus. We love seeing this place right now in the midst of a pandemic full of people in their 20s, maybe a few 30-something snuck in, maybe some teenagers still, that's okay too. But we are so glad you're here and we love you and we want you to be here and we're excited about what God is doing here amongst young adults. And I also want to tell you, we love your leadership team. We love Sarah. We love, yeah, Sarah's actually, don't tell Brian, but she's our favorite. But um, we love Sarah, we love Brian, we love both Brian's. And uh, so appreciative of all the folks, the sound guys, all you guys, the, the adjustments that we've made to make this possible to have you here. We're so glad that we can do it and we're so glad you're here. Um, as a dad, I do have two of my only two kids are here tonight. Um, they're, they're usually here. I try to look and see if they are here. Um, my daughter, Kylie, she said I can't point her out, but she was the one standing right there. Um, my son Caleb is here somewhere. I don't know where he is, but he's here somewhere. Um, but I, as a dad of two young adults, I so appreciate this ministry and all the aspects of it, from the small groups to Thursday nights to everything that you guys do. It's awesome. And I love coming and being here. I, I'm grateful to Sarah and Brian for letting an old guy come in here every now and again. Um, and I, it's always a privilege. Um, I was 17 years old a few years ago. And uh, I joined the Army at the age of 17. I went to basic training, and I went uh, to some other training, and I got my first duty station assignment, which was in Germany. Actually, this is how old I am. It was West Germany. Do you guys, any of you guys know that there used to be a West Germany and an East Germany? Do you know that? There's now just a Germany? Because there once was a Germany, then there was two, now there's one again? Do you guys remember that from history? Anyway, I was there when there was two, and I was stationed in West Germany. And when I joined the Army and went to West Germany, we would get paid once a month. And you rolled into this room, and they had all these guys with their rifles, armed guards, and you had a pay officer. And you walked in, you said your name, you said the last four of your Social Security number, you saluted him, and you walked up, and he would pay you. And believe it or not, this is how old I am, we got paid in cash, straight up cash. And he would count out your pay. I made $738 a month. That's true. That's not very much money, by the way, just in case you guys are trying to do the math. That's not a lot, and it wasn't a lot then. I made $738 in some cents. I don't remember the cents a month. And he paid it to us all in cash. Every guy got paid in cash. And most guys went out and subsequently blew it pretty quickly. But I learned something. That was really kind of the first real job I had. I had jobs in high school, of course. Um, I actually sterilized manure. That's a real thing. No joke. I did that for a job. And I got paid a buck an hour. Anyway, that's, that was illegal then. 
Long story short, but anyway, I, I got paid a buck an hour to sterilize manure. If you want more details, I'll tell you more about it later. It's a pretty stinky job. Anyway, I got paid in cash. And the thing about getting paid in cash, I'll tell you what that did for me. That made me understand I got this finite pile of money for one month. And I got to do everything I got to do. Got to pay my whatever payments I had to make for things, insurance, so forth and so on. I had to buy anything I needed, a toothbrush, whatever I might need, clothes. I had that little pile of cash for one month. I'll tell you what that did for me as a young man. It made me understand the value of money. And it made me understand how important it is for us to understand that money does matter. This whole series of money matters. Money does matter. And as a follower of Jesus, we need to understand the value of money. And we need to understand that money matters. And money matters to God. Now, some of you are probably sitting here going, you guys chose to talk about money in the midst of the strangest times in about 100 years. Why are we talking about money? Let me tell you how important money is to God. One out of 10 verses in the Gospels are about money. So that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Are, there's one in 10 of those verses talk about money. 16 of the 38 parables of Jesus are about money. 500 verses in the Bible about prayer. That's a lot. 500 verses in the Bible about faith. We talk about those things a lot, right? We've prayed a couple times tonight. We've talked about faith. But there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that are about money. It's important to God. Jesus spoke, and Sarah stole my thunder on this one. It's okay. Still love you. Jesus spoke about money more than love. Now, all of that you may have even heard in this series. Money's really important. And you're probably thinking, thanks a lot, man, because I don't have any. Believe it or not, I've been there. I told you I made 738 bucks a month, and that was like a real job. And I, and I was actually getting shot at at times when I made that kind of money. So who's the sucker? I guess it's me. Anyway, <laughs> 738 bucks a month. Money's important to us, but money is important to God. And how we handle our money and more importantly, how we give our money is the ultimate test of the heart. Or really, if you, if you remember some science class, anybody here into science, by the way? Right, look at that. I got like a, like a shout out about science. Litmus test. You ever heard of litmus tests? All right. Very good. She's excited about science. Very nice. I like it. I think that this verse, I call this verse, Matthew 6.21, the ultimate litmus test of the heart. Jesus said it, and you've heard it before. Brian told me he talked about this. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You show me where you spend your dollars, I will show you what's important to you. Some of you are thinking, man, that's a little critical. That's not me saying it. That's what Jesus said. So what we're going to talk about tonight is not just how we handle our money, but we're going to talk about what is near and dear to the heart of God, and that is a heart of generosity, a generous heart. We want to talk about generosity, and you're thinking, okay, you already told me just a few minutes ago that your job here at Calvary is, to, is dealing with all of the finances here at Calvary. That's true, okay? 
And you're probably thinking, well, you're just up there to tell us that generosity and giving to Calvary is really important because you want us to give money to Calvary because that's how you make your living, yada, yada, yada. The fact of the matter is, is everything I just said is true. That's part of my job here. But it's also something that we as followers of Christ, if you're here tonight and you have a relationship with Jesus, being generous is one of the character qualities that God wants you to develop. We're going to look at a passage tonight, and I'm not going to spend tons of time uh, talking tonight. I hope to be brief. I know it's chilly, and I'm moving around, and you're not, and I've got a cool heater up here, and you don't. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I actually wanted to see, because I right now, amidst COVID, we're trying to be careful in how we spend, and I approve the expenditures on these heaters, and I'm counting that there are five, and I think I approved three. <laughs> so where's Kevin? Is Kevin around here anywhere? Chris is back here. I got to talk to Kevin, and that's a true story. I remember approving three. Somehow they multiplied. I don't think that works. It's been a while since I've taken biology, but I don't think that heaters reproduce. Anyway, we're going to talk about the ultimate litmus test of the heart passage, really. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And if you have time, sometime, read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's an amazing passage. It's about a group of people called the Macedonians. Paul is the guy that wrote 2 Corinthians. He wrote a big chunk of our New Testament, right? Paul. Paul wrote this book, and he wrote it as a letter to the Corinthians, bragging about this other church, this group of people called the Macedonians. Guess where they lived? Macedonia. Very good. Which is, by the way, still a country. And I have been there. Anyway, we're going to talk about the Macedonians. So 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 12. I'm going to read this passage, and we're going to talk about it for a few minutes but we're going to talk about what this means in developing a generous heart. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 12. It's going to pop up. There it is. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. <coughs> Excuse me. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched by now, I'm sorry, matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. If you give according to what you have, not what you don't have. 
I want to talk about these guys, the Macedonians. Pretty interesting group of people. And I'm going to point out just three things to you tonight. And I'm going to point out three things that talk about a generous heart. First of all, a generous heart recognizes it is all God's. What is it? It is everything. Everything. Listen to Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Everything. Everything we know belongs to God. That includes, this is my wallet, I have a little wallet. What's in my wallet? What's in your bank account? What is in everybody's bank account? The entire world, everything we know, he made it all. He made it all. He made you. He owns you. Everything is God's. That's the first thing you got to understand when you think about becoming generous and having a heart of generosity and giving is we have to recognize that we are just stewards. We are just managers of his stuff. We're just managing his stuff. There's a parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. And that's what this is all about, that we are just managers of God's stuff. I'd encourage you to sometime read that. When I think you guys have done parables in here, haven't you? No? So, yes, Sarah's nodding yes. Somebody over here said, no, I'm going with Sarah. All right. Sarah said, yes. The parables of Jesus, a lot of them talked about money, 16 of the 38. That one's about money, the parable of the talents. The fact that it is all God's, we are acknowledging our dependence upon him when we give. When we give, and we, we, whatever the amount is, a dollar, ten dollars, a million dollars. When we give, we are acknowledging that this is God's stuff. And then we are trusting him to provide more stuff for us so that we can in turn give more. You know, we sing a song, and you guys sing it here, I'm pretty sure. The line goes, it's your breath in our lungs. You know that one? It's uh, great are you, Lord, that one. You guys are kind of, are you cold? You look cold. She looks cold right here. She's looking at me. She kind of did a sort of a half nod and a, and I'm really cold. Hurry up and get done talking, mister. Old man. No, I'm kidding. She didn't say that. That's not what it looked like. But she does look cold. It's your breath in our lungs. We sing that song. And, you know, we really could even sing, it's your money in our pocket. It's your money. God enables us to even draw breath. We believe that and understand that. We sing it here in YA. But he also gives us everything that we know and have, and that includes our money and our stuff. It's his. We need to manage his money well. It's his money. Uh, verse 6 in that chapter that we just read there, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, says this, So we urge Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you, encourage you, to finish this ministry of giving. It's a ministry for us to give. And we need to manage his money well. One of the things that's really important, and I want to be practical with you, is you got to know where your money goes, right? I think you guys have talked about this a little bit. But you got to know where your money goes. Most Americans, by the way, the average American, I'm a finance guy, so I like these kind of statistics. The average American spends $26,000 more than they earn in a year. That's the average. That means there's a bunch of people that are way higher than that. And of course, there's a bunch of people that are way lower than that. 
$26,000 more than they earn in a year. That's what they spend. So we got a lot of debt, right? The reason for that is most people have no idea where their money goes. For a guy like me, that makes me nervous, man. I'm a guy, I love spreadsheets. I put together budgets for people. I dig that stuff. I get all geeked out. I have a spreadsheet for our household budget for my wife and I that I've been developing over, over 25 years. It's really cool, man. It's got pie charts, bar charts, graphs, colors. It is awesome. I will help you develop. No, I'm not kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that to you. I'm a, I'm a bit of the extreme. I'm kind of crazy. In fact, my wife would tell you I'm insane. That's the actual word she uses. And she ignores the spreadsheet. She doesn't ignore it. She just doesn't ever look at it. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to do that, but I will say this. It's really important at your point in life, and actually at this moment in this pandemic thing, it's really important for you to have a budget. Manage his money well. Budget. And you think, oh, come on, man. Budgets can be real simple. Budgets can be, okay, I got this expense, this expense, this expense, and this expense. That equals this much. That means I got to make at least this much to, to pay for all that, right? And then I figure out what's left over, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't have to be multiple spreadsheets. It can be a few lines on a piece of paper. But you got to know where your money's going. And you got to budget. And the other thing about generosity, when, when we talked about Titus urging them to come back and finish this ministry of giving, is we've got a plan for giving. If it's a ministry, we plan for ministry, right? These guys were up here practicing for, I don't know, an hour or so. They were doing sound checks. They're setting all this stuff up. We have to plan to do ministry. It's the same thing with this ministry of giving, this generosity that we've been called to. Just like the Macedonians, we got to plan for it. We got to know where our money is going and we have to plan so that we can give. And I'm going to talk later about how you can get started giving if you've never done it before. It sounds scary. sounds weird. Why would I set aside money just so I can give it away? What? But we'll talk about it in a few minutes. You got to know where your money is going. Do you know where your money's going? Are you recognizing that it's all God's? My son uh, came to us at one point and said, Mom, Dad, I have all these Legos. This was last week. Um, no, kid. It was, he was, I don't know how old he was, sixth or seventh grade, something like that, maybe younger. I don't know. I, I barely remember how old he is now. But um, he came to us. And he had all these Legos, you know, kids dig Legos. And we had bought a bunch of Legos for this guy over the years. So he had a boatload of Legos. And he says, Dad, I want to sell my Legos so that I can buy a drum set. I wanted to buy this, this drum set thing or some cymbals, I think it was actually, for his drum set. And I remember thinking, you're going to sell your Legos? Wait a minute, dude. Everything in this house is mine. You don't have a job. You're a kid. Those Legos are my Legos. You're not selling my Legos. Forget it. My wife, being the most more, much more reasonable, good mother, <laughs> said to me, let's let him do this. Let's let him sell his Legos. He can figure it out, figure out how much money he needs. He can buy his symbols, whatever. I wanted to say, no way. Those are my Legos, not his Legos. But you know, my wife had the right attitude. She really had the attitude that, that God has toward us. He created everything. Everything is his. Somebody writes a check for $50 million to some foundation. That doesn't impress God. What impresses him is the heart. 
whether it's 50 million or 50 cents, he has given us that stuff to manage. And part of managing that is giving it back to him. See, my wife said, even though we paid for all those Legos as your mom and dad, yeah, take them, manage it, sell them, do whatever. So we sold them on Craigslist and I had to go meet a dude in a Hardy's parking lot at like 10 o'clock at night and make the exchange of the Legos. Felt like I was doing a drug deal. It's a true story. I was, it was kind of weird. You guys don't have Hardy's. This is before we lived in California. Hardy's is the same as uh, Carl's Jr. Thank you very much. The science girl. She got it. Carl's Jr. Nice job. But you have to understand, if you want to be generous, if you want to understand how to handle money, you've got to recognize it's all God's. Second thing to think about when we think about developing a generous heart, having a generous heart, is that a generous heart responds with willingness. Look at verses 3 and 4 of of chapter 8 that we read a, a moment ago. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. Did you catch that? Their own free will. Look at verse 8. I'm not commanding you to do this. Paul's saying, look, you need to give. I'm not commanding you to do this. He says in verse 12, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. We give of our own free will. Give of your own free will. This is not anybody forcing you. And if you ever are in a service at Calvary or some church or somewhere where they do something where they just lay guilt on you about giving your money, you know, and, and they show you pictures of, of, of things that try to manipulate you emotionally to give dollars, and they pressure you. That's not what we're here doing. In fact, Paul says in Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I'm not commanding you to do this. Give of your own free will. Giving, check this out in verse 8. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is. Giving is a test of our love. Now, that may sound like a guilt trip, but it's not. It's a test of our love. It's a test how much in our hearts do we really understand who God is and how much he loved us and how our life is to be lived as a love letter back to him. And that includes giving him our stuff, which is ultimately his stuff anyway. Interesting word in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. This is a verse you've probably heard if you've been around church and people talk about giving. You must decide in your own heart how much you to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. I just said that. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. That word cheerfully is actually the word that our English word hilarious comes from. Now, how many of you have ever been in church where they pass an offering plate? Okay, a few of you. How many times have you seen somebody laugh in hilarity when they put money in the offering plate? Never. I've never seen it. If I did, I'd probably, you know, call some guys in white coats. It's weird, right? God loves literally a hilarious giver. Giving is a hilarious privilege. It's a hilarious privilege. 8-4 in that chapter we read, or the passage we read just a minute ago, says they begged again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift to the believers in Jerusalem. 
It's a hilarious privilege. This is something that God has called us to do that is a privilege, and it should bring us great joy. One of the things that, that we often think about when we give is we want to give to something where we can see what that giving does, right? You want to give something to you know, a, a homeless shelter where you can see that food being given to a homeless person. That's great. We want to see the results of our giving, and that's okay. That's okay. In fact, the results of the giving of the generous people at Calvary, we're sitting all around it right now. It costs us money to put these sales up. These shade sales, that's what these are called, by the way. Shade sales. It cost us money last year when we redid all of this hardscape, this concrete here, and put these drains in. It cost us money to do everything we do. It cost us money. Believe it or not, we pay Sarah for what she does. Okay? It cost us money to do that, right? And Sarah appreciates it. We pay Brian, too, I guess. Since he's not here, he's going to hear it. But anyway, um, it costs money to do all the things we do. Now, that's not to make you feel bad or whatever. We're glad that we were able to do it. But these things are the results of people's generosity here at Calvary Community Church. And by the way, looking at the camera online, are we streaming? We stream, right? Okay, very good. Good evening. How are you doing? I totally forgot about that. I need to look at the camera. I've been told I got to look at the camera when I talk on the platform. So I'm looking at the camera. We actually have a lot of people who are not young adults watching right now. And in fact, I know of one individual who's a very generous person here at Calvary who watches every Thursday. And he is way not a young adult, okay? And he tells me on a regular basis that it actually brings him to tears when he sees you all here worshiping and hearing the word of God being taught. That's a guy who gets that this is a hilarious privilege, this giving thing. And these are the results of it, the ability for us to be here, to have a sound system to talk to you. And believe me, I see the checks, I see the bills, and I say, how much for what? But you know what? God's people are giving so that we can do this ministry. People are coming to Jesus because of the generosity of people understanding that privilege and that hilarity of giving. That's the hilarious part. It's the result of what the giving does. And you know what? The cool thing about giving to the ministry of the kingdom, to giving to a church like Calvary, is that it literally is a life and death matter. Without understanding who Jesus Christ is, his death, his burial, his resurrection on our behalf, and putting our faith in him, and I don't want to be scary or anything, but people literally leave this planet when their life is over, and they go to a literal place called hell if they don't understand that and know that and believe it. And that's not a mean thing. That's a loving thing to tell people the truth. I want you to understand the truth because I love you. And we tell people that truth. And we tell people how much God loves them. And we do that because we love you and because God loves you. And we're able to do it because people give generously so that we can do it. That is the hilarious privilege of giving. We'll look at verse 12. Verse 12, at the very end of what we just read, says, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. 
that seems pretty common sense, right? The Bible actually is pretty common sense. Can't give what you don't have. And it doesn't say you got to give this much or it's not acceptable. Some of you may have been around churches where they talk about you got to give 10%. It's called a tithe. Anybody ever heard of the tithe? Okay. I'm not here to crack on people who believe that. We don't teach that here at Calvary. We believe that you give as you have been blessed or you give according to what you have. Whether it's 10%, 20%, 15%, 5%, you give according to what God has given you. And I think the biggest point of responding with willingness when we talk about a generous heart is to do it. I work with a guy, his name is Rick Fusilier. Rick is just a great guy. And he's like me. I, I did not, I've not spent my entire career in ministry. In fact, I've come to ministry later in life after a career in business and, and the military and other things. Rick retired about eight years ago from a very successful career. And he joined our staff here. And he and I work together in finance here. And he has this idea of advising people to start giving. Well, how do I start giving? Well, here's his plan. He calls it the Ralph's plan. Okay, so stick with me on the Ralph's plan. If you go to Ralph's, do you guys go to Ralph's, by the way? Shop at Ralph's? Vons? Are you guys like a Sprouts crowd? Is that what I'm looking at here? <laughs> Sprouts is extremely overpriced. No offense to anybody that works at Sprouts, but go to the grocery store. But we're going to use Ralph's because it sounds good because it's Rick's idea. The Ralph's plan. When you pay for your groceries at Ralph's, with a debit card. Now, you guys probably don't use debit cards necessarily. Do you use more like Apple Pay, that kind of thing? Eh, not, nobody's like, okay, whatever. Do you guys actually eat? Do you buy food? <laughs> All right. Let's say you go to Ralph's and you buy something with your debit card or with Apple Pay. You can do this with Apple Pay. And you have that option to get cash back, right? Yeah? You tracking with me? Okay. I'm just making sure you guys are with me. You hit that button, that cash back. You know what the minimum amount of cash back you can get at Ralph's is? 20 bucks. Okay, now I got you. Okay, 20 bucks. If you hit that and say, yes, 20 bucks, you take that $20, and when you're here at YA, or maybe you go to church somewhere else, but we'd love for you to give it here if you, if you decide to give, and there's a box back there. You bring that in. We have an offering box right in the back, and you put it in a little envelope, and you drop it in there. You do that once a month. That is the Ralph's plan. That's an easy place to start. Maybe you go, you know what? 20 bucks is a lot for me a month. And maybe that's true. Take 10 of it. Take five of it. Take $2. Start. Get in the game. Start exercising the generosity muscle. Get in the game. You can always use that Ralph's plan. But start small. It doesn't have to be big things. Go buy a toy and stick it in the box. Where Are the boxes out? It, inside? Stick it in that box. I guess tonight's the last night you could do that, right? Is that right? No? I'm sorry? Oh, you can give through the sixth? The second. Okay. Very good. You know, you can tell I'm a little old and have bad hearing. That's unfortunate. But she was speaking very clearly. I just don't hear uh, you can give through December 2nd. So you can bring a toy and drop in the box. They're out front. I do know that. They're out front till 5 o'clock every night. Go buy a toy, throw it in there. Start small. Put two bucks back in the offering. Do the Ralph's plan, whatever. Start small and give by what you have. And don't give because, okay, yeah, that dude's up there. He's saying I should give. All right, whatever. Give because you want to. 
and you see the hilarious privilege of giving. Start small. Lastly, third thing about a generous heart. A generous heart realizes the sacrifice. Realizes the sacrifice. I love this part in verse 2. Talking about the Macedonians, it says this. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. We think we see that, we go, oh, wow, that's too bad. There's a conjunction there. But. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Let's do that math for a second. Troubled plus very poor equals rich generosity. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And sometimes the math doesn't make sense when we think about generosity. I'm not telling you that you should give to your own detriment. In fact, Paul says that later in this passage. We didn't read it, but he he says, you're not to give so that other people can basically live it up. We give because we want to give. You're not supposed to give to your own detriment, but it is sacrificial. It should literally cost us something when we exercise the generosity muscle. It should cost you something. It's sacrificial. It's difficult. But you know something that's interesting when you think about the Macedonians. It says, they, he says, I, I can testify, they gave not only what they could afford, but far more and did it of their own free will. Verse 9 Yeah, verse 9 says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. What they understood is that the richness in life doesn't come from dollars. The richness in life does not come from stuff. The richness in life comes from a thankful heart, understanding what God has done for them, And what Christ, the Son of God, has done for them on the cross. And they respond in trusting him and understanding that's the richness that we are after as followers of Christ. It's not a give to get scheme. There's nothing in scripture that says, okay, if you give this much, you're going to get this much back. Well, Lord, you know, I really could use a new boat. So I'm going to put $100 in the offering plate, and I'm going to trust that you are going to multiply that by 10,000-fold so that I can buy that boat. It's not a get, it's not a give-to-get scheme. That's not the idea of generosity. The idea of generosity is out of a heart that understands it's going to be sacrificial. It's going to cost us something. And I know Brian talked about this, but if we're going to give, guess what you have to have? You got to have some money, right? You got to have some stuff. And that doesn't mean you got to go out and make a bunch of money. That means your life has to be lived that you have some margin, okay? I watched this show. uh, It's by Frankie, I forget his last name, uh, called Struggle Meals. Anybody watch Struggle Meals? Hey, I got one. Hey, right on. Hey, good deal. The rest of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Hey, actually, he has a he's Instagram. He's Frankie Cooks, I think. Are you, are you into him that much? She's like, no, I'm not. But you are? So it's Frankie Cooks, right? Yeah. All right. Instagram, Frankie Cooks. Don't look it up now. All right. Look it up now. 
Frankie Cooks. This guy has a show. I think it's on the Cooking Channel, which is, not, is kind of the, kind of the uh, poor man's food network. The Cooking Channel. And he's in L.A., by the way, Frankie. And he's a young adult. He's in his 20s. Frankie has a show called Struggle Meals. And he talks about how you can make all this food and save all this money. And what he do, does is he talks about how much money it costs every time he makes a meal. He says, this meal costs this much per serving. And it's always like, you know, and he makes something really cool and really good. And it's always like 23 cents a serving. And you think, man, if I did that at a restaurant, that would be like 15 bucks at least. But what he's doing in this struggle meal show is he's showing people how to live a life and how they buy their food and how they eat that will end up giving some margin meaning some money left over at the end of the month. If we want to give and we want to understand and know and practice sacrificial giving, it's going to require us to have some margin in our life. It's going to require us to maybe give something up to give. Does that mean for the average American family, boy, if we want to be generous, we don't go to Disneyland this year? By the way, you can't go to Disneyland this year, which is kind of a bummer don't go to Disneyland this year, or we only go to Disneyland for four days instead of five days. I don't know. That's up to you to decide between you and God what sacrificial giving means in your life. But what I see from the Macedonians is they had many troubles. They were very poor, but it still ended up being some people that were full of abundant joy, and they gave generously. They understood what it meant to realize, realize actually means to make real sacrifice and sacrificial giving. What can you give up in order to give more? What can you give up in order to give more? And that doesn't mean you got to give up eating, okay? That doesn't mean you got to give up, man, I really do like to buy a coffee. Those things are okay. That's not what I'm here to say. God gives us his stuff, his money to manage, and he wants us to enjoy life with his stuff that he's blessed us with. So don't get me wrong, okay? There's, there's a lot of cool things I like. I'm going to be really honest. I am tomorrow, this is a true story, I am tomorrow going to get a subscription to the Hallmark Channel. You can laugh all you want. Those movies are awesome. And this is true. I am going to get a month-long subscription to the Hallmark Channel because I love Hallmark Christmas movies. I watched my first one last night, Christmas Contract. You ought to check it out. Bit of a spoiler on the ending, they fall in love, okay? <laughs> Here's something that's true that I heard from one of the guys. I have an inside track on one of the producers of a lot of the Hallmark Christmas movies. He told me this. So if you want to do this, I'm going to do it because I'm going to watch a bunch of Hallmark Christmas movies. Every scene in a Hallmark Christmas movie has a Christmas ornament or decoration in it. True. You got to look for them sometimes, but they're there. And every scene at the end of a Hallmark Christmas movie, the woman is wearing, guess what color dress? Red. True. Last night, it was true. I watched and it was true. I may or may not have cried, but I, and I'm not kidding. I genuinely love those movies because here's why. Okay. I'm going to get off on a little side of the thing here. Here's why I like them. They're clean. Okay. So anybody can walk in. You're not embarrassed by anything on TV, right? If you're watching a Hallmark Christmas movie. You don't totally have to pay attention because they're kind of the same, right? <laughs> so you don't have to really vest yourself too much in it, right? And they always have a happy ending, right? There's a little bit of trouble. Oh, no, are they going to really fall in love? And then they do. It's great, okay? 
I forgot where I was going. With, oh, I know what it's going. <laughs> it's okay. If you can afford it, it is okay to get a subscription to the Hallmark Channel. Okay? Hallmark Movie Channel. And they do have a special in December, so check it out. Um, it's okay to do those things. But that's not what drives our lives. If we are a follower of Christ, our lives are driven by our love for him and our desire to serve him, like I said earlier, by living our life as a love letter to him. It may require a little bit of sacrifice. Maybe you can't do that Hallmark Christmas Channel subscription. But what I know is that God wants us to have a generous heart. And what I also know that is that our God is a generous God. John 3.16 is a verse that, it's one of the first verses I ever memorized as a kid. I don't remember not going to church when I was a kid. I came to Christ at a very early age. But obviously over time, over the years, I've struggled and not struggled with my walk with Christ and things like that, just like everybody. But I remember John 3.16 when I was a kid. It talks about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Our God is a generous God. I grew up in Mishawaka, Indiana. I went to Penn High School. Man, just in case there's somebody in here that went to Penn. I spoke at an event about two weeks ago, and I talked about going to Penn High School, and there was somebody in the crowd that went to Penn High School in Camarillo. No joke. Wasn't a very big group of people either. Um, but I just wondered, anybody go to Penn High School, Mishawaka? All right. Kingsman class of 88 right here. All right. I grew up in Mishawaka, Indiana. There's a factory in Mishawaka that employs a bunch of people. My dad worked at this factory. It was about a 10-minute walk from our house. My dad worked at that factory and would come home every day. I remember as a kid, he would come home and he smelled like grease. I don't mean to be crude, but he would blow his nose and it was black. He hated working at that factory. My dad worked third shift, he worked second shift, he worked first shift, he worked a swing shift, he worked all kinds of jobs in that factory over 40 years. He dreaded going to work every day. But my dad did it. He got up, he put his pants on, and he went to work. And you know why he did it? I've asked him about it. He's still alive, by the way. And he's an interesting cat. My, my kids could tell you that. Grandpa is an interesting cat. <laughs> my dad, when I asked him about it, when I got older, you know, why did you, why'd you stay at a job you hated? He said, because I had to do it. Why? He said, because it was the best job I could get so that I could provide for my family. My dad is a great example of sacrifice. A great example of sacrificial giving. Somebody who got up, went to a crummy job for 40 years, has had to have knee surgery and shoulder surgery and all kinds of things. He's got, his hands are kind of beat up and he, you know, he's in his 70s and he doesn't get around real well. And it's all a direct result of working in a factory for 40 years. Now he wasn't, you know, a great ultimate example of some kind of crazy sacrifice you'd see in a movie, but he was a faithful example of sacrificial giving to his family. You know, we have a faithful example of sacrificial giving in our Savior. Verse 9, 
you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, think about that, heaven, you are at the right hand of God the Father. You are one of the three persons of the Godhead, of the Trinity, of the only God of the universe. You are the omnipotent, omniscient, omni-fill-in-the-blank, God of everything and everyone. He was rich. You don't get any richer than that. Yet, for your sakes, your sakes, your sake, my sake, he became what? Poor. He became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. We have the ultimate example of a generous heart, of a sacrificial giver, of someone who recognized it was all God's. You remember when he prayed in the garden, he said to the Father, not your will, but mine. I'm sorry, not my will, but yours be done. He knew that this was God's plan. He willingly went to the cross and became poor, sacrificed his very life, being crucified by those that he created. Scripture says he knows how many hairs are on our head. Knows the numbers of hairs on your head. Think about that. He's watching these guys put nail in his hands and he knows how many hairs are on their head. He knows everything about them. And he let them do it and willingly went to the cross because he loved you and me. What an example of a generous heart. What an example of recognizing it's all God's, of responding with willingness and realizing the sacrifice. I want you to think about how am I doing with this generous heart thing? Even amidst COVID, even amidst the craziness that's happening in our world, we can be generous. And this isn't about a guilt trip. This isn't about me trying to get you to give us a bunch of money. That's not what I'm here to do. Not what I'm talking about. If you go to another church and, and you're plugged in there, give there. I'm talking about us exercising a generous heart like the heart of Christ. Jesus set the ultimate example of a generous heart. Let's follow his example. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these young people that are here, these young adults. Thank you for the lives represented. Thank you for your ultimate example of a generous heart. I pray, God, that you would help us to move from here knowing and understanding what that means. Help us, Lord, to recognize you are the God of it all. Help us to respond willingly, to give where we can give. Help us, Lord, to realize the sacrifice. Help us to be willing to give up something to give. Help us to budget, to manage well. Help us to get in that game and start giving. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for all you do for us in your name.